welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. This evening, I have a really great guest, Genuine Teaching from the YouTube channel, Genuine Teaching. It's not her real name. Her name's actually Jen, but she will be joining us in just a second. Before we get started, I just want everyone to know that this show is about answering your questions about teaching and the teacher life. If you have questions, you can go ahead and start typing them in the chat area on YouTube. Either one, we will get them and we will try and answer as many as we possibly can this evening. And if you missed this and you're watching the rebroadcast, go ahead and just leave your comments in the section below or your questions in the section below and we'll be sure to get back to every single one of them that we can. All right, so at this time, I'm gonna guest Jen in. There she comes. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on? How are you? Can you hear me all right? I'm doing good. Good. How are you? I am excellent. We just walked in the door like 10 minutes ago, like set everything up, and now we're ready to keep oh, going. So. That's good timing, good timing. Yeah. Yes. Um, so real quick, could you tell everyone, just give a sense of like who you are for the uh, three people that don't know who you are? Yeah. Sure. I'm Jennifer. My YouTube channel is Genuine Teaching. This is actually going to be my 10th year teaching. I have taught, I taught six years in second grade, two years in kindergarten, and this will be my second year in third grade. I teach in Arizona. I've taught ELD. Um, it's pretty much about me <laughs> as far as my teaching goes. I didn't know you were I'm sorry, what? I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I've been teaching for a while. Yeah, my 10th year is going to be crazy. It's flown by, though. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so let me. So let's start off with this. First of all, I'm really, really happy that you decided to do this. I appreciate you coming on. Um, and it's it's never lost to me like that. Like I sit and watch people's videos. Like I've watched a bunch of your videos and now I get to have a conversation with you, which is really fun. Um, it's exciting. Our, yes. So our opening topic for this evening, which I put on Instagram and I got quite a quite a good response on, is flexible seating, right? So folks that are watching, if you have questions about other things, you can go ahead and put those in, in the question section on the side there. But um, I have not done flexible seating yet. I am interested in it this year, especially because I have a co-taught class that I'm working on, and I think it would work well for the class. But a lot of the stuff that I'm even seeing in the Instagram questions is like, I think it's too expensive or I'm not sure how I would do it if I'm if my school's really strapped for cash. And I'm wondering, since you've already done this, if you could speak a little bit to that um, because, because you have some experience with that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been kind of doing flexible seating for a long time. And that's one thing that people definitely um, think when they go into flexible seating is I can't do this because I don't have the money and I've been doing flexible seating for years for free um, I'm like okay do you all have a classroom floor good you can definitely implement flexible seating the way that I started doing it I actually started doing it with my second graders but even more so when I went into kindergarten and I just saw how much more engaged that the kids were so for example when I had 
traditional desks or tables and chairs, they would still have their assigned seats, but at certain times throughout the day, whether it be when they're reading a book and I want them to be more comfortable or when they're writing in their journals, I might say, hey, you're free to sit at your desk if you're comfortable there, but if you wanna lounge out on the floor, you can sit on your stomach, you can sit under a desk, whatever you feel comfortable. My only rule is that if you are on task and it's a smart place for you to sit, you can be. So I just started off in kindergarten, second grade, just by giving them that option during specific times of the day, um, not all day, every day. Just, hey, you can sit in your chair or you can sit on the floor. And surprisingly, most kids pick the floor without even any special seating. And so then um, I took the jump this year. Um, my principal and my school were very open to different ideas. And I said, hey, I wanna try this flexible seating thing. I lowered a few desks um, and I, it started with me standing on a table, which is very strange. I got that from Ron Clark, standing on a table, getting kids engaged and people are walking in my room. And they're like, yeah, you need to go visit Jennifer's room. She's just standing on tables and stuff like that. And so that's kind of where it started. Um, I let students sit at the stage, which people lowered to the floor, and I just saw how easy it was for kids to get into groups and to work with one another, and I said, wait a minute, this might be really useful, and I was really lucky. Um, I had a very small class this year, 21 students, and that is not like my school. We usually have like mid-20s to even, I think this year people are getting mid-30s in their class this year, and I already knew that with like 30 desks and I said if I get any more kids we're not going to have any room so I started flexible seating to kind of make more room in my classroom and over time I've added things in like pillows and don't do yoga balls I hate yoga balls they're awful <laughs> yeah definitely I only had it at my small group table so it was very um, structured but still I handle it. I still have like when I teach my whole group lessons, they're still in assigned seats because I still need that structure. But when they go off and work independently, they have more free choice. And like I said, I started off with free options of you can sit in your desk or you can sit on the floor. But I've also gotten um, a lot of things through grants and also through places like Donors Choose. Really? So, so break this down a little bit for me. Like when your kids come in in the beginning of the day, what does that look like? Like, do they all have a seat or a desk or, or do some kids not because of flexible seating? Could, could you, I don't know, walk through that little, a little bit? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Something that I like is when the kids come in, I was always having them finish some sort of morning work or an assignment. And my kids would be so frustrated with trying to get this done that that's all I could worry about and when we moved on to the next subject they're like but I didn't finish my morning work so now what I've started doing is as soon as the kids come in they put their stuff away um backpack hooks so they have a place to put their backpacks and each and every one of my kids has a book box I actually bought these boxes on Lakeshore um and it was quite an investment but that's basically their traveling desk and when I implement flexible seating, I have like an anchor chart that goes over all the expectations, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like. And so we have desks. I have some on the floor. I have some that are normal height um, and some that are standing which surprisingly kids really love the standing desks. I have one girl. Uh, so all right. Darren said there's more to flexible seating than furniture. You have to change the way you teach. What, 
how has your teaching had to change because of flexible seating in your classroom? Definitely. I do a lot more whole group with me on the floor. Like I said, I have to have assigned seats when I'm teaching on the floor because sometimes I partner certain students up, whether it be on academic level or behavior levels. Um, so I definitely do a lot of my teaching on the floor. And since they don't have desks, I had to go out and purchase those book boxes I was telling you about. So they have a traveling desk. So I do a lot of group work on the floor because um, my projector's in the front. It's not like the kids can scatter all over the room. Usually when people, when I heard people say, oh, flexible seating didn't work for me, it's because I feel like they're doing a lot of their one-on-one -on -one, like direct instruction with kids sitting in all different places so they can face this way, they can face that way, they can lounge. That's a big no-no for me. When I'm doing my direct instruction, they have to be right in front of me, sitting a certain way. I know I have really high expectations, but the kids really seem to um, do a lot better with that because then when they're more structured with me, then when I give them that choice to go out and do things on their own, that's where they get more of that flexibility. Yeah, that's, I, I love it. It sounds fantastic. Um, KDK is saying, I love this concept, but sometimes parents don't get the idea of new concepts, flexible seating. Everything that isn't normal, quote unquote normal, isn't good enough for their kids. Have you had pushback from parents at all with this? Well, when, when I first started to do it, I sent out a letter and I didn't really get any responses from it. So I figured, hey, they must be cool with it. And then one day, a mom came in for a completely different thing and she was trying to stay on topic with me, but she got distracted. She kept looking around the room. And after we're done talking about what she came to talk about, she goes, so this is what flexible seating looks like. My daughter comes home and talks about it all the time. And she goes, that sounds interesting. And then, so after a while, she's like, I see because she's coming and she'll get getting the same content and she's still learning as much as she was in the beginning of the year. So I can tell that flexible seating is really working. And it's actually become quite popular at my school for people to start doing flexible seating. And we've even had people that are not in our school saying, I'm going to be moving to a different school, to a different house, so we can come to your school so we can do flexible seating. So the parents have really started to see, yeah, they really started to see the positives of it. That's awesome. That's what a, that's an amazing like compliment to get that someone would just send their kid there because you're doing mm -hmm. such a great um, Mrs. Mrs. Y is fly. That's the username. That is a great username. That is a great name. I have two concerns with starting flexible seating. One fire department rules are, are super strict where she lives. And two, where do you put the current desks? What would you, did you move anything out of your room and did you have anything? Yeah, like I, yeah, well, we, I feel like the fire department would like me a little better because I have less stuff in my room, so it's easier to get out when there's a fire, but I did have to get rid of about half of my desks, and like I said, my administration and our custodians are in love with the idea of flexible seating, and luckily, um, we do have places in the school to put stuff. Um, so many people are starting to do flexible seating though that they're running out of space and they're like, we might have to contact the district and see if we can use some of their space. 
but they're really, really um, on board with it. So I'd like to get rid of more of my desks and bring in tables, but that would be pushing it. And like I said, I am really a person that I do not want to spend a bunch of my own money on seating because I'd rather spend that on good quality literature and books that I can bring into my classroom. And instead of, oh, let me go buy a dining room table because that'd be really great in my classroom. It would look amazing. I'm not doing it for the pictures. I'm not doing it because it's, I'm doing it because I've actually seen improvements in my kids' um, behavior and academics. Yeah, that's the best answer. Uh, so Tracy Pinter said that Ikea, big lots and consignment shops, thrift stores, garage sales are saving graces uh, and that she's used those a lot for her. Um, for her flexible seating. And I think that would be interesting. Um, mm -hmm. My wife is asking, uh, do certain students fight over certain areas um, and certain spots? And is that a big distraction in the classroom? I only had one spot where kids really fought over. It was like these really comfortable chairs. And uh, they just know that if they fight over it, they don't get to sit there and so my kids are really like don't fight about it if someone gets there first they're like you got i've seen them be like if you get it this morning i'll give it to you later in the day and so they kind of figured it out um so that's been really great it's usually not a distraction just because they can spread out so much a kid would rather be spread out by themselves surprisingly um than fighting over different places to sit in the classroom um, Kafupa Land is asking, were your supervisors on board? Uh, she thinks that hers would be against it. Did you have any pushback from your principal or anyone else? No, not at all. People were actually for it and they were doing, earlier in the year, they were doing walkthroughs and my principal said, hey, I really like what you're doing in here. One of our professional developments is going to be touring different classrooms and I wanted to see if you could be, and she actually started telling the superintendent about what our school was doing. And he actually brought a bunch of uh, business people from around the community to come and observe and see what people were doing in their classroom. So I've been really lucky to have administration that embraces flexible seating. But definitely, if I think back at different administrators in the past, they may have been like, okay, um, but definitely there's a lot of research out there. Um, I know one person, Kayla from Top Dog Teaching, she has a blog and she has a lot of research-based articles and as well as Greg Smedley from Kindergarten Smorgasbord. So if you need to kind of get research to back it, I would definitely check out those two people because they have blog posts all about it and how to kind of get your admin on board. Yeah, and because with administration that's everything is like do you have facts to back up whatever you're you're thinking about um cc moffitt is asking cc moffitt's back again have you tried classroom transformations before and if so how challenging were they i want to i want to try one in first grade so ha have you ever had any other like big transformations in your classroom during the year or is this like the biggest thing that you've you've done um, yeah, I've done like content-based transformations. I know everyone knows Michelle from Pocketful of Primary. She did a football theme transformation for a week and she has some stuff that went along with it on TPT. And I was like, 
I'm going to try that with my kids. And so during leading up to the Super Bowl weekend, I have kids that are obsessed with football, like more than I've ever had in the past. So I was like, I'm going to transform my classroom. I went out and I bought tablecloths from the Dollar Tree and I themed all of our subjects to be football themed. We were learning in math. We were doing multiplication with different properties. And so I had like on little sheets of paper math problems and I crumpled them up so they could be footballs. And then they had to run to the middle of the room and get a math problem, solve it with their partner, come get it checked by me. When they got it checked, they crumpled it back up and put it back in the middle. And we were playing like the NFL song and it was really great. So definitely small transformations like that. I think it cost me maybe $6 to get little footballs and the tablecloths. That's the only transformation I've done though, but I want to do more in the future. Yeah. Uh, so teaching Juju has an interesting question, which is how do you do standardized testing? Uh, do you have to go to a different room or do you somehow do that in your room? That's a good question. Um, luckily, our school, we do all of our standardized testing on computers. So we have laptop carts. So we have three different testing rooms. And so I'm just assigned one of those rooms so I don't have to worry about standardized testing. I do have actually, she had to go to a different teacher's classroom that didn't do flexible seating when they did standardized testing. So when we're doing full-on standardized testing, um, we don't do it with flexible seating. When I'm doing my normal testing during the school year, um, I do it in my classroom and it actually cuts down a lot on kids wanting to peek over because some kids are over here and some kids are way over there and they're not by each other. So it actually ends up working a lot better too. That's really interesting. Um... Is there another one? We'll get to that. Sorry, uh, I'm looking at two questions at the same time. Karen Sanchez said, I'm worried about the whole class engagement using flexible seating. It feels like this is more for independent work. Um, I don't, so, but you're, you said your whole class engagement is like all, you make all the kids sit in front of you and you're all together, right? So like yeah. that, does that completely cut down on it? I mean, do you, I mean, so maybe compare that to when you had all your students sitting in their desks. Do you feel like one's better than another? Are they more engaged doing that? Well, I think what I always had to come to the floor, even when I had tables and desks, because I feel like when I'm right there with the kids, uh, and it doesn't matter what grade I've taught. I've taught second, kinder, third. Um, I haven't taught the older kids, but I feel like I would still do something along the same lines. Is I feel like when they're right in front of me, I have them more engaged. And I feel like even if I did still have desks or tables, I never really did my direct instruction with them sitting at the desks. So I've always had them come to the floor. Um, so I don't really know any different. But definitely, I feel personally that flexible seating is meant more for individualized work and especially group work. So they'll have a lot of room to collaborate with one another. You know, it's funny, like, even when I think of how sometimes I'll, sometimes when my guys come in and I teach, for those of you that don't know me, I teach all, at all boys school in Philadelphia. So my guys will walk in the room and I will sit in a desk instead of like standing at the front. 
and I feel like the, the level of engagement is not always better, but it's just different. Like the kids are, what we're doing is like having a conversation all together and I'm not like lording over them by standing in front of the classroom like this authoritative figure. I, I'm almost, ex I feel like I'm accepted as like one of the group instead. So it's not just me kind of dictating the conversation. It's all of us having this conversation together. And I love that. And sometimes like I wish I could kind of start class like that more. And also what that will lead to is me, instead of me like leading the conversation, I'll just pick a kid and have him stand in the front sometimes. And um, so even, I mean, what flexible teaching or flexible teaching, flexible seating is making me think of is like, just trying to change the dynamics sometimes and how that can, um, I don't know, it just puts the kids in a different mindset so they can do stuff. One of the things you said though that I thought was interesting was that the kids pick different spots for different subjects. So I, mm -hmm. I wonder what is, what in, I mean, have you heard anything from students as to like why they would pick one spot for reading and a different spot for math? Well, I know that I've had kids talk to me about like, places that they choose for different times of day. So maybe that has something to do with it. Like one girl said that she'd rather stand in the morning because it helps her wake up. And in the afternoon, she's like, I kind of want to just sit on the floor while I'm doing my writing. Um, but it's also nice because when we're doing something like reading a book, they'll kind of to a more comfortable spot but when they're doing math they don't mind standing up and sitting at the desks that are on the floor just because they feel more focused and that's one of my really big things is not just hey come into my room it's a free-for-all we have fun seats it'll be great we'll be the cool classroom like that's not why we do it we really teach them like if I'm at home, I have so many different spots to sit. I may want to sit on the couch one day or lay in my bed and read a book or sit on the floor. So you just kind of need to know what works for you, um, for what activity you're doing. And maybe one day you're not feeling so great and you don't want to be standing all day. And so I think it just depends on the time of day and just kind of their moods as well. That's, uh, I really, that connection to like where you live and what seating looks like in your house is really interesting. And I had not thought of that. So like for myself, like if I eat, I like to sit in a certain chair. When I read a book, I'm sitting mm -hmm. somewhere. When I'm working on YouTube, I'm sitting in a certain spot. And so my place that I am totally has something to do with like what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Um, cause if I do, like if I write in my bed and try to read a book, I'd fall asleep immediately. Yeah. But, um, but if I can sit in a chair, I feel far more comfortable and like in that right space. So that's, that's cool. Um, Detroit teacher asked, I have a question. Do you put, does this put soft pressure in quotes for your colleagues to change to flexible seating if they don't want to? Do you feel like other people have felt pressure to do flexible seating? Do you, I mean, I don't know. I don't think so because um, a lot of our, uh, I think the great thing is secretly people have always been a little bit interested in it, but they've been really afraid to jump into it. I'm the complete opposite. I'm going to try something and if it fails, it's okay because at least I tried it. And so I think it's nice for them to get different ideas from people. And so it allow. I think it makes them feel a little bit lesser because they were like, well, I really want to try this, 
but I don't know if it's going to work. And I really want to do it, but I don't think that admin's going to like it. And I'm not brave enough to ask them if we can do it. So I think it's put less pressure because there are still people at our school that's like, nope, I'm going to use a desk. I'm going to use a chair. I appreciate that you're trying to do that. And another question that I've gotten in the past is, well, if so many people are doing flexible seating and so many people are not, I feel like it's about 50-50 at this point. They worry about the kids going from one classroom that does flexible seating to a class that doesn't do flexible seating or vice versa. And honestly, it goes back to those expectations and those routines. The kids don't do flexible seating when they're in computer class. They don't do flexible seating when they're in library. So the kids know how to sit in desks and chairs and nobody looks down on anyone for doing flexible seating and for those of us that are doing flexible seating we don't look down on those that aren't doing it as long as you're doing what works for you and you're comfortable and you're teaching the kids and you're there for the right reasons it really doesn't matter if you want to do flexible seating or not so i'm just like if you want to try it cool i can help you and if not i totally get you because i'm also a person that's like I need, I need rows, which is why I have them sitting in rows when we're on the floor in assigned seats. So it's like I have a mixture of both. Yeah, that's the, I, you know, so my room has always been and I never thought I'd be this teacher, but I have my desks are all in rows and everyone sits alphabetized. And so part of that is it helps me to grade things and to hand things back easier. So if everyone's uh, in alphabetical order all the way back and then they go alphabetical order all the way up. So it's kind of like a snake in the room. And then when I'm handing things back, there's like this total flow and, and it's a lot quicker. And, you know, I, I'd say to people that are starting out, the longer you stick to a routine, you might think I'm going to do this for a year or two years or three years. Or um, one of the things I hear all the time is like, once I'm tenured, then I'm going to go be the teacher I always wanted to be. Then I'm going to be nuts. And I think, no, that's nonsense. You're not going to be. You're going to teach for three years. You're going to get stuck in your ways and it's going to be too much to change then. So, you know, um, even if you're, so what, what I'm thinking about is like, I have sort of like inadvertently done flexible seating where I have my desks in rows, but I also have like a couch in my room. I, I mm -hmm. do like kids sit on my, I have these big giant windowsills in the back of my room that the kids use as benches. I got, I have pillows in my room. I don't know where they came from. They just showed up one day and I just went with it. Hope that like nobody had bed bugs or something like that. But um, <laughs> so, and then the kids like lay on those. So I think it wouldn't be such a far stretch for me to do it. So I'm interested to talk with my, the thing is I'm, I am co-teaching a class this year. So uh, she, I'm sure she will love it. Um, I love that I constantly talk to my invisible wife. <laughs> Um, I, it, it is sounding more and more intriguing. Um, Rebecca Williams said, Reynolds, oh, this is for me. Would you ever consider doing elementary education? What is it? What is the highlight of regarding teaching high school students? Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this question to you too and ask you why you picked the grade that you did. But, uh, for me, it was, I, I just, I love kids of all ages. Like I don't, I'm not, I know some elementary teachers teach elementary because they're like terrified of high school students and vice versa. They're, I work with high school teachers that are like, I can't stand little kids. I, I just love working with kids. I, I could work with any age. 
I think what high school for me was about was I just felt like there was this age range of ninth grade, 14, 15 year olds that were changing, were growing into new people and they weren't sure how to navigate that all the time. And I, and I really love literature also. So I think that those two things worked really well together. I can pull a lot of themes out of literature, a lot of lessons, and then try and like, <clears throat> excuse me, like connect the kids' lives to those in a number of different ways. And so I think that was my major connection was just like the love for literature and like the connection with that particular age. But um, I, I'd love, I mean, sometimes I just kind of like dream about what would it be like to teach? You know, I loved fourth grade. I loved uh, mm -hmm. seventh grade. What would that be like? But I just, at this point, I am so connected to where I am and I want the kids to be able to return to where I am that that's bigger to me than, like I'd like in 20 years for someone to come back and they go to one, room 106 and Reynolds is still sitting in there. I, that is That kind of legacy is enough for me to stay exactly where I am. But why, why did you pick your fourth grade? Um, third, and third, third grade. Because, third, third grade, that's right, because Charlotte was talking about this last week about you perhaps moving to a different grade at some point. Oh, no. um, why, why do you pick the grade that you did? Well, I definitely, oh no. Can you guys hear me like feedback? No, I think it sounds all right. Okay, well, if not, if it goes crazy, I can always get a pair of headphones. But anyways, so um, I knew that I wanted to do actually third grade. It was my favorite grade growing up. I knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was actually in kindergarten. My favorite teacher was actually a kindergarten teacher. And I remember going up to the office and helping and saying, my teacher needs some coffees. And so I just loved doing that. And all throughout elementary school, I loved school. I was like, I'm a great teacher. I'm going to do this. And then as I got older, and I got into middle school and in high school, and I was like, I'm still gonna be a teacher, but maybe I wanna teach English, and maybe I wanna be a high school teacher. And so I always went back to my first love of teaching the younger grades, because that's when I fell in love with learning. And I just went and I got a kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, but I'm definitely open to teaching any grade. I thought I would never teach kindergarten in my life. And kindergarten is definitely a different world and it's not necessarily for me, but I still loved it. And so I wouldn't say that I would never leave elementary. I've really considered trying middle school and people are like, if you do middle school, might as well try high school. So I'm definitely open to everything, but I, right now I'm really happy in third grade and the elementary ages kind of for the same reasons like once you're there you're there and um, it's just kind of it's good knowing the age that you're with because then you can say oh that you're struggling with this I have all this background knowledge to help you with that and if I were to teach a different grade I would be like I'm not afraid of you but it might take me a little while to figure you out yeah that's really that's important and I think uh, I just, I wonder, so one of the things, um, I was thinking about today, I was talking to a colleague about is this idea that like, when you start teaching, you don't always get to pick what grade you get to pick a range of grades that you mm -hmm. get to be in, but you don't necessarily get to pick, like say, Hey, I want to teach fourth. You might be certified from K through sixth and whatever job is open is what you get. 
So I feel like I was lucky enough to get the grade that I wanted. But when I went into my current school, um, I had to teach some senior classes also. And I, I didn't like that so much just because, you know, if you're a freshman and you struggle with reading or writing, I feel like I can help you. But when you're in 12th grade and you're still struggling, it's like getting you ready for college is a much bigger jump. And if you're, if the kid's heart isn't in it, then it's really hard to do in just like that one year amount of time. So it gets, it gets tricky. Um, Tracy Pinter asked, just out of curiosity, have any of your schools gone paperless and or one-to-one -one online textbook curriculum? Uh, if so, what do you use? Do you, do you have any, I mean, I feel like your school's like crazy enough to do something like that. I, like, I like, laugh. Go ahead. I laugh because we don't even have Wi-Fi. <laughs> we're, we're like a 21st century school that um, focuses on like collaboration and communication. And they stress like, yes, technology is important. But I'm like, I can't really do all these cool things that people talk about because we don't even have Wi-Fi. So... Um, I came from a school down in Phoenix and we had Wi-Fi, we had smart boards, um, we had teacher computers. Like I remember last summer when I started teaching at the school district, someone asked like, hey, when do we get our teacher laptops? And the district just started laughing at us and they're like, what are you talking about? You don't get any laptops? And we're like, okay, <laughs> this is a different world for me. So definitely... Um, I'm not saying that we don't use technology because we definitely do, but with no Wi-Fi, it makes it really hard to go to paperless. And I'm really excited to see what's coming up for our school district this year because we're actually implementing Google Classroom. So I've been trained in all the Google apps. I'm actually going to be training teachers on my campus on how to use all these products. Um, luckily we do have laptop carts and the laptop carts have Wi-Fi just for the school laptop. So it'll be very interesting to see how we make this switch to more technology in our schools. Totally. I mean, we, we are not paperless. We're far from it. Uh, but my, so in our school, which runs ninth grade through 12th grade, uh, the 10th, 11th and 12th grade graders all get Chromebooks. Uh, the ninth grade do not. I'm not really sure of the reasoning for that. So everything that I do in class has to be on paper. I can give assignments that require kids to use computers, but I can't expect that everyone has a computer at home or that everyone has internet at home, that is, at least that's reliable. Which, And so not, not even every student has a phone. Sometimes I make the mistake of assuming that all of my students have phones and I'll say like, hey, take out your phone and look up this or do this. There's this great activity, and then I'll have, like, the two kids that are, like, my parents didn't get me a phone yet. And I'm like, ah, I need, like, <laughs> extra old iPhones in my room or something. So it's, it's tricky because as much as technology is pushed these days, it's just not feasible for every school to have all of the stuff that other schools do. So um, And when, I, in Pennsylvania anyway, when funding keeps getting crushed every year – and is less and less like the likelihood of us getting there just becomes far more less likely, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, so I'm still old school, like handing out study guides. 
here goes my dog. Every week, my dog starts making noise at some point. And there goes my wife dealing with my dog behind me. Okay, I locked my dog out of the room because he was barking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is what, well, yeah, he ran out. I gave him a bunch of peanut butter, and, and that apparently. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Smith said, I'm moving from elementary to ninth grade. What are some general traits of ninth graders? Oh, this is to me. Uh, madness. General traits of madness, <laughs> moodiness. Um, a lot of kids smell sometimes because they're in that situation out. And they are one of the things I love, love, love about ninth grade is especially in the beginning. One of the things I just love, period, about ninth grade is they're not grown yet. Like these kids were j just little kids a second ago. So they're not like complete grown ups like they were. Like a lot of my 12th graders and 11th graders, there's there's actually something that happens after ninth grade during that summer. Everyone's voice drops all of a sudden. Everyone comes back to school with a mustache. They're much calmer. They're more into being cool. And in the ninth grade, I can get kids to do things like um, we read parts of Merchant of Venice to music so that like to set the scene or when they read journal entries in class, I'll play music over them. So it's kind of like, if I feel like their journal entry is like adventurous, I'll just play this music behind it and they go with it. And when I try and do that with older grades, they just look at me like rounds. This is seriously, this is the dumbest thing. I'm not doing this. This is so stupid. <laughs> and, but they, and they, cause they all know that I'm a, like a total goon all the time. And so it's harder to get the older kids to kind of go with that stuff. But I feel like ninth grade, if you start right in the beginning of the year, you can get those kids to do all kinds of crazy stuff in school. And that I love that because you're just you're capitalizing on that little bit of, of child, you know, that's still in them, that little kid that's still in them. And, and so I love it. Um, Emily Norcross asked any tips for new teachers looking for a job in July and August when a lot of other people already have jobs? Yes, because I got my July, my job in July. Um, when did you, so when, right out of college, when did you get, when were you able to get a job? So I feel really bad always telling people this story because I kind of got handed a job. Um, okay. When I was in, when I was at community college, I met one of my best friends and she was a year ahead of me. And so when she graduated, she got her first job. She went through the interview process, went to all these job fairs, did all the hard work. I would come in my senior year of college and come and visit her classroom. I would help out. The principal would see me there a lot. And she's like, hey, by the way, we have an opening coming up. And I've seen you here a lot. And you're studying to be a teacher. Let me know when you graduate. I'm like, really? That's cool. And so she basically just gave me the job. Um, and then it was backwards because she gave me the job. And then I kind of interviewed. And then my job I just transferred to another school in the district to be closer to my house by closer I mean like literally four miles but it made a big difference because I was able to be at home earlier and then when I got my job up here I just started emailing people like hey I'm going to be moving to this city next school year and just wanted to come by and tour your school and principals, some ignored me. Some were like, why are you coming up here? And there was two principals and one where I got hired were like, yeah, come and visit whenever you want. You can volunteer. And then when it came time 
for interviews, I actually had my interview in February and it was great because she had me teach a lesson um, before the interview part. So instead of being super nervous, I went straight into the lesson and I got to be myself around the students. And then after the lesson, she goes, so do you have any questions for me? We really want to hire you based on, basically on the lesson that I gave her. So um, I feel like I've had it pretty easy as far as finding a job, but getting hired in July, what was that like? Yeah, so I, so I always knew what kind of school I wanted to teach at. I knew that I wanted to teach somewhere that at least, and, and this has changed a little bit, um, but largely I wanted to teach at a school where I felt like I was needed, right? Where like other teachers maybe wouldn't always go and, or where there were other teachers that were struggling that um, I could become a part of the community and we could work together, right? Like I didn't need to just be like the great hope that showed up in school, but, um, but that's where I started interviewing was like, I would find schools in like Camden, New Jersey is like consistently like rated like one of the most dangerous places in the country. And so I thought, yeah, man, I'll be able to go there and get a job. And that's just what I did. But the funny thing is I went to that same year, I went to a very affluent district as well here in New Jersey and I got that job, but that's not where I really, really wanted to be. I wanted to be at this other school in Camden and I kept, they were like, all right, we just need you to come in and sign this contract and we'll, and we'll get started and you'll be teaching here. And I kept not going. And then like after two days, they were like, are you coming up to the school to sign this? Like, we want to hire you. And like, this is like a big deal. And I was like, actually, like, I'm really, really like, I, I'll be there as soon as I can. And as soon as that call came in from the school that I wanted to be at, I just called and canceled the other job. But um, so I feel like, Schools like that, you can show up in July and August because they're always looking for people. I think a lot of times it depends on where you're looking for jobs. And what I would do is, and I think my friend Darren talked about this the other week, like be prepared to not get a job also, right? So, and what, what that means is like, maybe look for volunteer opportunities or think about tutoring, but like, how are you going to keep your hand in the teaching profession and working with kids and dealing with content? What if you don't get a job? Because one, that will help you pay your bills. And two, it just keeps you in that place because I've known too many people that have like not gotten a job. They got a job at like, I don't know, like Lowe's or something like that. And then they just never left because they like fell into that pattern. And then it's like you went to school for four years for no reason. And now you're like, you know, working at Lowe's, which is fine if that's your choice, but if you're just doing it because you couldn't find the thing you really wanted to do, I think that's what I would, um, that's what I would just kind of warn against also. Uh, this name, naturally Niani. I hope I got that right. I appreciate your, your question, but I, I'm having, you know, I'm not good with names. I say this every week, multiple times. I'm not either. It's okay. <laughs> I am a SPED co-teacher who has taught sixth through eighth grade math for four years. Now I have an eighth grade math reading split. Um, reading help, how do I prepare? So, ooh, that's, so if you're, it's a co-taught class. What do you ever, how, I'm just trying, I'm trying to think of how I would want to put this. Like, 
Do you have something that you feel like you're better at in your classroom? Like, are you better at math or reading? And I want to get to this question, but I'm just trying to break this down for a second. Um, yeah, I definitely do. Um, strangely enough, when I first started teaching, I felt like I was not so good at teaching writing. I love writing, but for some reason, the school districts I've worked in, we never had like a solid writing curriculum. So I was kind of making things up as I went. And so one year I just said, look, my focus this year is going to become a better writing teacher. Now, obviously I didn't neglect all the other subjects, but I was like, I'm going to work on one thing and become really good at it. Now it's one of my favorite things to teach is writing. Um, so I definitely think that I am stronger in writing. I also like teaching science. Um, so I don't know if that's because I personally enjoy those subjects more or if it's just because I've made a point of that's my weakness and I want to make that not so much my weakness. Yeah. So how did you go about getting better in that? Like where, where did you look? Did you go to school? Did you just look online? Where were some of the avenues that you went down to do that? Definitely looked a lot online to see it was out there. When I first started teaching, teachers pay teachers out there, but not that great. Um, also, Instagram didn't even exist. So I went to my coworkers. I think a lot of people are always trying to find the answers outside of where they are. They're trying to look on Pinterest and Instagram and YouTube, which are all really great resources. But I think sometimes people forget that they have really great resources around them. So definitely going to coworkers and seeing how they teach it. Um, I flat out went to my friend who was teaching the same grade as me. I'm struggling with writing. What do you do? And so she said, honestly, I start with journal writing. And then I look through their journals and I see mistakes that they're making. So when I was in second grade, I was doing ELD. And so these are the students that didn't pass the English profici proficiency test. So they were struggling a lot on just grammar. So I would say, okay, today we're going to focus on complete sentence. So I do a quick mini lesson on what's a complete sentence, what isn't a complete sentence. And then I'll say, in your journal writing today, I'm going to be looking for complete sentences. So it can be anything like in kindergarten, I said, okay, I'm going to be looking for spaces. Um, let's teach you what a finger space looks like. And when you're writing today, I want you to use that skill. So I started there, started really simple. And then over time, I got more training through Lucy Calkins, we did that in our school district, and it actually became a writing trainer for my school. And so then I got to get more training from the state. And so the state came to train us, and then we trained our staff. So just over um, asking people at my school, getting trainings through professional development, and even just reading books um, has been a really great way for me to learn just how to become a better writing teacher, but just a better teacher in general. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like there's so much more online now than there was when I started teaching. I used to use this site. I don't, I don't even know if it's still available. Uh, Harry Wong, uh, the guy that wrote like the first year, first day of teaching book or whatever. So he had this website where there was a small discussion board on it and teachers would leave lesson plans on there. And so I would just go in and like read through. I would look up anything that said great or awesome or best in terms of like, if someone said this is the best lesson on this that they ever taught, and then I would just look for everyone's best lesson. I think a lot of new teachers make this mistake of 
trying to recreate the wheel and read and doing something new just for so they could say they came up with it when there's so much stuff online. I mean, I think I wish the YouTube teacher community existed when I first started teaching because it's I would be watching videos like crazy and I've, I've seen tons of YouTube uh, folks like content creators just make videos just because someone asked them to like hey could you talk about this in your next video I'm really interested in it and you know that to me is a resource like just did not exist when I started teaching so I think to teach reading or, or math or anything else like yeah just start digging through the internet and there's a lot there but eventually what you can do is find something that really connects with the kind of teacher that you are and then you just take it from there I would not try to recreate the wheel but you can take those things that you find from someone else and like remold them and make them so that they work for you too so um that is the craziest looking all right so the screen moved and my wife tried to take a picture but uh cat cat i'm sorry cat pine cat p uh no that sounds weird too. all right so cat pinyao uh, said so genuine teaching. Do you teach at a public school, a private school, or a charter school? And how do you feel about the current controversy over charter schools? I teach at a public school, and that's actually a really like. So I teach in a smallish city. I don't live in like a super small town, but I don't live in a huge city anymore. It's kind of like somewhere in the middle. And up here, I didn't realize how big charter schools are. And so I know that in my community, our public school, um, our district is actually the number one employer for our entire city. And so it's definitely a big um, public school system and people are very supportive of public schools. But then you have this group of people that are all for charter schools. And I've heard, I've never seen, but apparently some of the better known charter schools have like stood around our public schools like during Meet the Teacher Night handing out flyers saying you should try out our charter school you should come here and i'm like first of all is that legal <laughs> um but so i don't know much about charter schools i do have a friend that did work in charter schools and she hasn't she didn't have very good um experiences but those were just for personal reasons um but yeah i work in charter i don't work in charter schools i work in public schools and like I said, the only thing I've heard about charter schools up here is that they're trying to take our kids from the public schools. And we're like, don't take our kids. <laughs> it's one of those tricky things. So I, I teach at a charter school and I, that was never my intention. I don't have like a pull towards charter schools or something like that. That's where my job was available. That's where I went and got a job. And so mm -hmm. I think it's real. It's one of those interesting conversations because it's like any other time that you group everyone together and say like, girls are like this, or like, you know, guys are always like this, or um, I, I don't know, like rich people are like this. As soon as you group everyone together, you take away anything that could be good about them or be a better example than, than others. And so my, I feel like my school is fantastic. Uh, you do hear things about like, uh, charter schools like cherry picking students, trying to get like, only the best students to come to their schools. And I, in my classes, I've 
I mean, I, my kids never want to do homework. I, if we cherry picked kids, I don't know where that we cherry picked them from. But you know, I have my. They just seem like regular students. They don't want to do any more work than anyone else. It takes a lot of time and energy for me to like get kids riled up about school and excited about what we're doing. So I just I think it's a it's a really interesting argument that's happening right now. And I know it's been on the news a lot lately and stuff, but it is when we try like I'd be careful to like for anyone out there that's watching this to like try and group all of any type of school together when they say like, well, public schools don't know how to spend their money. And it's like, I'm sure not all public schools spend their money incorrectly. I have no idea, but mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of schools out there and a lot of different teachers. I just think that my charter school in particular is just a really special place just because of the people that ended up working there and the fact that we all get along and we all have a real passion for the kids and we work together to kind of make things happen that, you know, the school's just the vehicle. I, I'm certain that I would do all the things I wanted to do no matter what school I was at because I'd figure out a way around it. Um, and that's yeah. just me, but, you know, I. I don't know. So that's, yeah. I, I, I definitely I agree. I mean, I just feel like a school is a school. And if everyone's there for the right reasons, it doesn't matter if it's public, private charter. I was looking into going to a different school once and it just happened to be a charter school because I had heard really great things about it. And just like you said, you just happen to work at a charter school because that's where you're teaching. And I think you're completely right. I, I'm like, I don't have anything against any of the schools more the merrier. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lisa Brown asked, what is the staff and school climate like at both of your schools? What, what's your, I mean, you're best friends, right? With one of the other teachers. So it can't be that bad, but what's, know, right? uh, what's your, your overall staff like and school climate like? I really like the school that I'm at. I got very lucky. Schools in the past, you always have those groups of negative people that you stay away from, and you always have like those cliques. And my school doesn't have any of that. It's the first school that I've been at where, at least publicly, I mean, I don't know what people say behind closed doors, but when we're all together, it feels like we're a big family. Everybody's really positive. People like to joke around when it's appropriate, but people are very, very serious um, when it comes to their job and everyone's there for the right reasons. There's not one staff member that's like, oh, I had to come into work today. Like everyone's always smiling. Um, I always get comments on how happy the kids are looking. They're like coming to class to smile. And it's not just it's not just in my class. It's when kids are coming on campus. They're coming to campus with a smile on their face. And I definitely feel like it's because all of the teachers and staff members really get to know the kids. And even the people in the cafeteria and our custodian, um, he knows the kids and he knows like their stories and everyone gets to know every single kid. And I just, I really like the environment that I am. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I think individual teachers don't necessarily think of how much they can impact their school's climate. Like I, I just decided that I was going to have a great experience at the school that I'm at now. So when I was in Camden, it was a much different environment. There were tons of teachers there that like didn't necessarily like they didn't love teaching. It didn't seem like a passion anymore. It seemed like they could just sit in the classroom and hand out 
worksheets if they wanted to. And then there was another part of the school that were like really gung-ho about everything that we were doing. And I just decided to make a little group of people and we just had the best time that we ever could. I mean, like it was, it was so fun working with them. And that's who I focused on because like you said, like every school is going to have those groups of negative people, um, whether they're, they're quiet about it and they just kind of passive, it's like a passive aggressive existence or they are very vocal about it. And the school that I'm at now, I just lucked out that I have at least in my hallway, um, really positive people like, and I get away with crazy weird stuff that I do in the hallway when I'm like shooting kids with water pistols or I like blow bubbles in the hallway and, or I'm doing, I don't know. I have like this fake mouse on a string that I pull down the hallway or I have this, here's, here's a, a tip for you new teachers. Um, if you take tape and you fold it back on itself, so it's not sticky when it's touching your fingers, you can let that tape glide off into anyone's hair that you want and the kids will never have any idea that you just put tape in their hair. And so I do this stuff all the time and everyone knows that if you are walking around school with tape in your hair, it was Reynolds that did it. And they all know, don't tell anyone, even if it's your best friend, because it's hilarious. And I just get away with that kind of stuff. But I really think that that brings a lot of value to everyone because it just takes the seriousness out of what you're doing or the drudgery or it just... I mean, blowing bubbles in the hallway seems really stupid and somewhat childish, but it breaks everyone's reality for a moment. Mm -hmm. And the kids initially, I've said this a ton of times before, they initially hate the bubbles. They get they get aggravated that there's bubbles in there. Like, what are you doing? It's so stupid. Why are there bubbles? And then the next class when they walk by, I like break them down and they can't help but like pop a bubble. And once you pop a bubble, you can't not pop three more. Um, and then it comes madness and I go back in my classroom and leave that in the hallway. But, um, it, I just think that, uh, the climate's really good where I am, but I think I participate as someone who like helps it to be that way. And I think all teachers can have that impact on their schools and, and make it something that they want to show up to every single day. I agree. Um, let's do, uh, let me see. Let me do this one. Um, Kaylee Nicole asked, so we're at a little over an hour. You want to do a couple more questions? Are you good with that? Sure. I'm good. Awesome. Um, Kaylee Nicole asked, she said, I struggle with my firsties on wanting to write. Any ideas other than writing topics that they would like? So any ideas on like, on how to get kids to write instead of just doing writing topics? Yeah, um, I love giving just journals, just giving them a journal, whether it be a composition notebook or just a bunch of paper with a construction paper cover. Um, and I literally just let them write about whatever they want. Now, obviously, in third grade, it's a little bit more structured because I'm getting them ready for the standardized testing. But the kids love just being able to write about whatever they want. Um, one thing that I do, especially when I taught the younger ones, when they're like, I don't know what to write. I don't have any ideas. I literally just gave them a heart map. It was a piece of paper with a heart on it. And it said my heart map. And so the very first lesson that I taught in writing was draw all of your favorite things inside of the heart. It could be your favorite color 
there. It could be, it be your favorite food. It could be your favorite hobby, your favorite TV show, whatever. They don't know what this heart map is for. They're just like, cool, I get a whole time to just draw and write about whatever I want. And then you stick it in their folder or somewhere that they have access to it. And then when you give them time for writing, they're like, I don't know what to write about. You could say, you can pull out your heart map because I know there's tons of stuff that you love. And so they can say, oh, okay, I can do that. It was my seventh year teaching and it was by far the hardest year of teaching. And there is this one little boy, he did not want to write about anything other than trains. His favorite character was Thomas the Train. And all he wanted to write about was trains. And at first I was like, you can't write about trains all of the time. And I was like, wait a minute, Jennifer, is he wanting to write? Yes. So then let him write about trains. Now, obviously when there were times where I had to do an assessment and they had to write on topic, it was a little bit harder to get him to write. But when he had that free writing time again, he was like, yes, I can write about Thomas the Train. And instead of just drawing a picture of railroad tracks, by the end of the year, he was writing a few sentences about his favorite train and he added color to it. And that was great for kindergarten. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, one of the things that uh, my, so I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and when they were younger, one of the ways the teacher would get them to write is by having a picture at the top of the page and they could draw a picture about anything, right? Or, or she would say like, draw a picture depicting this and my son loves drawing. So he would draw the picture, but then you would have to describe it below or write a few sentences about it. And it was like, all right, well, I'm already excited about this thing that I made and I want everyone to know about it. And so then he would write it and it wasn't such a chore because he was like pumped about the drawing that he had already made about whatever it was. Um, uh, these kind of go together. I'm being told, uh, it says Ruby Vega Reynolds, do you give homework? And Maria Rodriguez said, I'm also curious if Jen gives and what she feels about homework. Um, I, I do give, so I give homework, but it depends on the class, right? So my honors guys, when I taught honors, they have homework every single night. You're in honors, you should expect it. Uh, I, what my homework is, is based on what was completed in class, which is how I get kids to do a lot of stuff in class because I say, look, this is how many pages I need you to get through. If you can get through a bunch of that in class, then you have less homework. If you mess around in class or if you fall asleep or whatever, then you're gonna have far more homework than everyone else is. And so I, my, Guys who are on a lower reading level, I don't generally have them do much homework. One, because I think it's, I, I legitimately think the school day is harder for them. We get in at eight and we go, if freshmen have mandatory after school programs, so they don't get done till five. And some wow. of my guys take it an hour and a half to get home. So the idea of you getting home at like 7.30 and eating dinner with your family and then it's eight o'clock or whatever and then what, like, you're going to go do homework. I just think that that's awful and that you should have the free time at home. You shouldn't, I mean, I, I really don't like that my school day is as long as it is sometimes because I feel like students should have their own time to study things that they are interested in or spend time with their family. Or I don't even care if you're playing video games or whatever you're doing, but you need to have time that's your own to be able to recuperate. And I, so I think homework pushes too much on students sometimes so for me, it depends on the class. 
and on what we're doing. Like, am I giving homework for homework's sake because it makes me look like a really good teacher and like I hold my students to high expectations or is it like, is it bringing my kids down? So it really, really depends on the class and the kids. What, what do you give homework all the time or how do you feel about that? Um, I hated homework when I was younger. I would literally like come home, watch TV, do all this stuff. And then it'd be eight o'clock at night. I'd be crying as an eighth grader. <laughs> I'd be crying saying, why can't I be done with homework already? Um, so me personally, I don't like giving homework. I do give a little bit of homework and my only homework is we have a program and it comes with homework. So I say, Hey, here's the homework. You did the same exact thing in class. So it's the same exact problems, but just different questions. So if they need help with their homework, they have the practice questions that we did in class together to reference back to it. And I always say, look, if you're spending more than 30 minutes on that, which it should only take them about maybe 15 minutes, but I say, if you're spending over 30 minutes on this math paper, get your parent to sign where you got stuck and I'll help you with it in the morning. And that's the only homework that I assign. And then I encourage kids to read at home. But as far as like giving reading logs or assignments for them to bring back, I don't require that. I say, hey, if you want to go home and read a magazine, read a magazine. If you want to read the back of a cereal box, read the back of a cereal box. If you want to read a uh, super simple picture book to your little sister when she's going to sleep, do that as well because I want them to know that reading isn't a chore. It's something enjoyable and it's something that they can do to learn. So if they find a really article online about Pokemon and they want to read it, all for it. I love Pokemon, so go ahead and read what you're interested in. So um, for me, if it were up to me, I would just have kids reading at home because I tell them, guys, you're not going to be a little kid forever. It's going to go by fast and you want to spend as much time with your family as you can now. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, lo I love that you said spend like a set amount of time and then kind of cut that off because I I'm just thinking of how like not all students, you might think that that one assignment is going to take students no more than 20 minutes or 30 minutes at night, but some students it might take 10 minutes and they're done and they're out the door. Other kids might be sitting there for an hour, an hour and a half, especially if you have kids that have like issues with ADD and they're home and their medication is worn off and they're having a hard time like focusing in on what they're doing. That is, it's going to take them forever. And then it's just frustrating and it makes them hate learning. So I think there's a lot to that idea of like saying, here's what I want you to do for this many minutes, do what you can. And then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there or reassess maybe you know, uh, sometimes I won't give all of my students the same amount of homework. Like some kids, I'll give a little bit less or I think they're really grasping the material. So I'll like secretly like cut it down. Or if I feel like they worked really, really hard that day, I'll like secretly cut it down or like slide them a homework pass or do something like that. Um, <laughs> the I had a question from Tracy Pinter asked, is your admin supportive of your antics? And I like that Kafupal said something to the effect of like her admin would not be down with that at all. Uh, here's my thing. In a lot of ways, I ask for forgiveness over permission. And because, because I know my ideas are good sometimes and I don't want to ask someone because if I go to the office and I say, uh, principal, 
I have this really great idea. I think it would help in the hallway if I blew bubbles every once in a while. What do you think about this? Or if I have a giant hand on a stick and I make people give me high fives that are taller than they can reach. How do you feel about this? Um, or I have a microphone that I got from the dollar store and I walk around, it has bubbles inside of it also, but, and I walk around and I interview kids that are running late for class and I say things like, how's it feel to be late for class every single day? And it's just great because you know what? It makes kids hurry up because they don't want to answer me and then they go to class. Asking someone to do that, you sound like a lunatic. But if I just go do it and I know that it's working and the other teachers know that it's working, I just wouldn't worry about it. Like if, and plus, I never would fear getting fired. Like, are you seriously going to fire me for blowing bubbles in the hallway? Or, I mean, maybe shooting kids with water pistols, but like definitely not like giving high fives or something stupid. Like, I just would rather, I'd rather, honestly, hear that reprimand from someone. Like, I'd rather get pulled into the office and be sat down, like, had to have a talk about something like that. Um, cool. Let's call it there. We're at an hour and 15 minutes, and that's, I think that's enough. Um, Sounds good. Great. You knew, like, so much stuff about flexible seating, and I didn't expect that conversation <laughs> to go that long. But it Me did, either. Like, <laughs> and I, and I that was, like, supposed to be, like, a, a question or two, but I think we really hit, like, a, a, a we hit a point there for people. Um, and I had almost nothing to say about it, so thank you for hosting the first <laughs> 40 minutes of the conversation. That's awesome. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Jen, thank you so much for being on. I really, really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me. All right. It was I, awesome. I, Jen's stuff will be linked below. Genuine Teaching on YouTube. And that's that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you coming on. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.